Good morning to all of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. Struggling with a head cold this weekend, so I trust it's not a distraction to us as we look into God's Word together. As we look at next Sunday being communion, uh, look at preparing ourselves for that. You know, life, we get so busy with life. Um, you start out living you start out living out of necessity and out of intuition rather than godly fear in our lives. We get so busy and caught up with the, with the windmill of life spinning around. There's a reading that I appreciated. Last night, my little boy confessed to me some childish wrong. Kneeling at my knee, he prayed, make me like daddy, wise and strong. Then while he slept, I knelt beside his bed and confessed my sins and prayed with low-bowed head, Lord, make me like my son, pure and sincere. That's my prayer as I look at preparing my heart. He says, examine yourselves in Scripture. Whether the gospel is being real in your life, or if you're beginning to deceive yourself and live a delusion. A delusion is a very small step away from every one of our minds and every one of our lives. A delusion is a very small step away. And when we lack godly fear, quickly our religion becomes defiled. Um, self-centered would be the word that we were um, thinking of in Sunday school class. When we lose godly fear, we no longer care for the people helping that need help around us. We no longer care if we're being spotted by the world. But because we have this delusion that we live and we feel good about it. You know, we're, we're fine. And we're, we're being self-centered. We're, we're not taking time for the people in need around us. And we're uncaring about how the world is spotting us. Godly fear means living in the light of Jesus Christ and His Word because we truly do fear and reverence His name. I appreciated A.W. Uh, Tozer, if I can get his name said right. He said, light and darkness are incompatible. To try to have both in the same place at once is to try the impossible. And you end up having neither, the one nor the other, but dimness and obscurity. Jesus said, it's easy for people living in obscurity to justify themselves. And how great is that darkness within us if we think it's light? That delusion can happen so easily to any one of us. These things that will seem like okay to me now, but they are incompatible with life in Christ a life that is lived to the honor of Jesus Christ. We must keep our lamp trimmed and our lights burning bright. I guess that's the challenge for my life today. When we lack godly fear, the vision of our lamps burning bright is just kind of ho-hum. I appreciated that song too. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I trusted the Lord? He says that in verse 2. And then in verse 3, he talks about casting down every idol, everything that rears its ugly head in my way that takes um, more prominence in my mind than Jesus Christ. I'm going to cut it down and knock it out. And then in the last verse, he goes on to say, pure light, sorry, pure light will mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. There's a clearness 
You get rid of the delusion. You, you, you have that closeness again. I, it, you know, when I get busy with life, this is how you put up with things. You know, if and when we lack godly fear, I should also say, things come our way, decisions come our way, and we look at it and we think, well, if it claims neutrality, it's probably not that big of a deal if we do it or don't do it. Um, seems kind of harmless. Or even if there's a claim of small spiritual nourishment. Well, I mean, that, that seems like a good idea. It's not all wrong. I mean, there's some nourishment there, spiritual nourishment. And then we, we start tolerating a lot of things until our lives are so full. And where does Jesus fit in? It's not full of things that are against Christ, but it's full of things that are really accepted without godly fear and, and really assessing how does this affect my life. This tolerance of things is killing us. Evil tolerance, I, I firmly believe evil tolerance or tolerating evil doesn't start by just tolerating evil. It starts by tolerating things that seem harmless to us but aren't embraced in the fear of God. And then those things lead to a greater embracing of things that do not honor God as they should. In this fallen world, I'm blessed by reading stories of men who have given their lives for conviction, not tolerance. They've given their lives for conviction of truth and godliness. And I think there's three things in every man's life, every woman's life, who has been willing to die even for their faith. And those three things things that were real in people's lives. Loyalty to God, faithfulness to truth, and the preservation of a good conscience. You eliminate any one of those three of a man of character, and he will die rather than break one of those. All men that gave their life were offered, hey, you just give up your conviction. You just, it's not this hard. You don't have to be so extreme, so legalistic. And it, the person ready to die at the stake was saying, I can't give up a good conscience. I, I can't deny Christ or His Word. <coughs> and then at a later date say, God, I'm sorry about that. I, I didn't. You know what my heart really was. No way. I can't give up a good conscience. And I am going to be faithful to truth if you kill me over it. And I'm going to be loyal to the God that I serve. Life is no treasure to be pursued at the price of compromise. Tolerance is the opposite of legalism. And I don't think we want to be in either ditch, legalistic or tolerant. 
Somehow we have to come and say we're going to base our lives on loyalty to God, faithfulness to truth, and live by a clean and good conscience. But today truth has been slain to provide a feast to celebrate the marriage of heaven and hell. And it's all in the name of tolerance. And there are a few that are not affected by that. I have been affected by that. Have you been affected by that? There's a battle, there's a warfare going on. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. And as we examine ourselves, we want to look at, has this tolerance thing affected me in my life? And we want to look at something for the men, and we want to look at something for the women. And I hope that through both of these points, we can be encouraged to look, am I basing my life to follow an absolute the preservation of a good conscience? Am I faithful to truth? Not how I feel. If we're faithful to how, our, how we feel, I'm good at that. I can, I can show you how I feel in my home really easily without much discipline at all. But am I faithful to truth, not how I feel? And am I loyal to God even when nothing seems to make sense? Revelation 22 Starting at verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commands, that they might have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates of the city. Now, I'd like to stop there, just hesitate. Depending on what your translation of the Bible is, your Bible might say in verse 15, Blessed are those who wash their robes, and they will have right to the tree of life. Um, we need to be very careful. We can look at that as, which is it? Is it just wash robes, or is it that do His commandments? If you look... Um, and you study it out, it, it saddens me that manuscripts are being rewritten to a point where we need to be careful. What are they saying? Does it throw one in the ditch? Hey, interpretation is hopefully done by godly men, but it is it can be had in error in any translation that we can come up with. But the danger is we can change doctrine based on how Scripture is written. Adam Clark and the men of old, before all the translation craze came into effect, um, didn't even consider the idea brought out by the writers who say, blessed are those who wash their robes. The wording is in the old language, in the old manuscripts that do his commandments. Now most of the manuscripts of that are not considered the very oldest are switched to the point that it says for us to be washed. And understand one thing, though. We must understand to do His commandments is all-encompassing. And then it commands us to be washed. It's not something that you say, well, yeah, I've done that. I, I didn't, like we said this morning, we didn't drink alcohol. We, didn't, we weren't promiscuous in our lifestyle. Um, we got it all down, and I, that's not what it's saying. The commands, His commands, speaking to the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He's commanded us to be washed. He's commanded us to be born again. Um, so it does not negate, and definitely there is truth there. The blood of Jesus Christ, we need, need to be washed. In fact, He says, 
the blood of Jesus that made a new and living way in Hebrews. We must be following our Lord's commands. Oh, blessed are they that do his commands, that they might have right to the tree of life. The children that haven't given in to personal tolerance of sin is what it's saying. Now, verse 15, it changes a little bit here. It says, for without or outside of this family, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers. And whoremonger is not a word we use very often. It's a prostitution. It involves prostitution, especially as it relates to the man who hires murderers or someone who is angry in their heart and idolaters. If we hold things higher than our Lord, whether that be an image, whether that be a golf club, whether that be money or whether that be food or whether that be a home, idolaters. And then it says, And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. In the churches he wants these things testified to. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Beautiful verse. And the spirit and the bride say, come. The people, it, we fit outside. We fit outside the walls, naturally speaking. There's not one person here who says, no, I deserve to be inside. We, we understand the, the sin that all of us have been born with. And yet the spirit and the bride say, Come. I love that. And let him that heareth, if, if you hear that word come, then you say it too. Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. <coughs> the ones that are kept out as we inventory our lives today, I wonder why are they kept out? Uh, there's some words that we just briefly went over there. Uh, whoremongers, murderers, and idolaters, and liars. Um, if you're trying to um, profess an image that you and I are sorry, that only you know is a lie, um, the Bible is against us, no matter how uh, spectacular that might be. No matter how fine-tuned and disciplined that is, God is against us. <clears throat> But there's, there's a word here that I, I found intriguing as I studied it. Dogs. Sorcerers. What, what, what do those mean? If I would ask you, this is really important because he said these are those who are not going to inherit eternal life. They're going to be kept out. What does dogs mean? And I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm not trying to pull an answer out of you today. I'm just saying I needed to study that. They're characterized as dogs, a term in Scripture and in the old day that is something that is fascinated by impure or unclean things. Something that is, or someone who is fascinated by impure or unclean things. God's children are not living these convictions and are fascinated to doing His commands, because up here we look, blessed are they that do His commands. And I think our Lord Jesus Christ needs to fascinate us. We need to be trained on Him. How does He want me to live? How does He want me to, to talk? How does He want me to interact with the people around me? We need to be fascinated by Him. 
We can't be fascinated by doing his commands and be fascinated by what is impure or unclean. It's impossible. Someone who's fascinated by impurity and uncleanness is considered a dog. Now, dogs are animals that, by nature, they're fascinated by what is unclean. That's their nature. That's just what they do. Sometimes you take slop out to the dog, and as you throw that slop out there, it's just like, it stinks. It's like, I could throw up. And you know what? The dog will eat the slop, and if you throw up, he'll eat that too. He don't care. They're fascinated by what's impure and unclean. It doesn't bother them at all. Let's just get this going here. Had a cow that had an injury to its udder. The injury got gangrene. I won't go into long detail. But half of the udder turned black, yellow, orange, red, and oozed yellow, green. It was awful, and it smelled awful. And the dog of the place, one day walking behind the cow, thought, that looks really good. The cow didn't even seem to mind. The dog thought, that looks delicious. And you know why? That's in a dog's nature. And friends, why am I saying this? As you go through life, and man, I'm talking to you right now, you will see things that should not appeal to a godly child of God. It should not appeal to you. But if you're working from a dog's nature, you're going to think that looks delicious. That looks like something I want. If dog by nature, friends, I will start to crave the things that are abhorrent to a holy God. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. Keep your finger here in Revelation 22. 1 John chapter 2. There's three things that a person who is operating from a lower nature of a dog that they will be involved in. Familiar verses. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Alright, so God is drawing and delineating a very clear line. If you have a dog's nature in you, then you don't love the Father. That's, that's a statement, that's not a question. You either love the Father and hate the things that are unclean and impure, Or else, if you love the things and embrace the things that are unclean and impure, there is no way possible you're loving the Father as you are. We have a dog's nature within us. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And here he says it again, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, But who's going to abide forever? But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's three things that a person who is operating from a lower nature of a dog will be involved in. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I was so blessed 
last Sunday when we heard on the pride of life and humility. Um, I needed that message. I need, I need to live in a clearer light of humility and not be distracted by pride. Today's message is looking more at the lust of the flesh. What is winning your fascination, young men? What, what is winning your fascinated fascination? What are you being fascinated by? What are you drawn to? What is your mind drawn to? And this is the argument. I, I hear it many times. Well, I'm really struggling. In fact, some things I'm involved in of probably borderline. But it's just the way God made men. It's the drive that's impossible to control completely. And in order to control it, I'm involved in habits with myself. It's just the way we as men are. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's just the way sin is. That has nothing to do with a father. It has everything to do with the fallen nature of a dog. No one follows the lust of the flesh. This is God's word. This isn't me trying to make some bold statement. No one loves or follows the lust of the flesh has the love of the father in him. Because if he would love the father, he would hate that activity and that uncleanness. If he would love the Father, he would despise what is unclean. But I would like to say this. It's more than hating an ungodly activity. It's more than hating lust. It's more than hating ungodly actions. It's more than hating the world and, and describing all the debauchery in the world and how evil it is and how lust destroys. It's more than hating lust, friends. We can write books on how you need to hate lust, scream and yell and encourage gently, however we can try and get across that you need to hate lust. But I'm not asking you this morning if you hate lust because every man in prison, I believe, hates lust. Because they can see the pain that it brought. They can see the emptiness that it brought. The loneliness that lust has brought to their lives. Because they embraced it in a small way or a large way. Every man hates lust. But that doesn't mean they're not going to be involved in it when it calls to them again. So I'm not asking you if you hate lust. I'm asking you this question. Do you, can you honestly say, do you love purity? And you, man, I, I don't know your heart. I don't know what you think on. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Can you hold your right hand up? Put your left hand on your heart. And can you honestly say, I love purity. Can you do that when you're online? Can you do that before you read that story? Can you do that before you start dwelling on thoughts, any thought, and you say, I love purity. And it's more than purity of the mind that we're striving for. 
It, it says, blessed are the pure. It doesn't say the blessed are the pure in mind. Now, why doesn't it say that? It says, blessed are the pure in heart. It's, it's that love of your heart. It, is it nailed on purity? Do you love purity? I'm not asking if you hate lust. I'm asking if you love purity. You say, well, this is New Testament teaching. Actually, God was teaching His children that for many years ago. In Psalms, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of His salvation. Do you have a heart love of purity? Now, this is what can happen. People that have a dog's nature feel like they are making great strides when they recognize what lust has done for them. I'm telling you, you'll see this over and over and over again. I'm making great strides because I'm recognizing what lust has doing to me and now I hate it. And now I can feel spiritual because I hate lust and I hate its effects. And so that makes me spiritual, right? I'm, I've won a battle now. I, I'm on the other side. I realize that I don't like lust. I don't like those things. I actually hate those things. I, I read, or read, I, I, I actually gave up reading a lot of them, but some books the writers are hammering on the things of impurity and lust and its effects and the nations we live in. And society is corrupt and they describe the pain because of the impurity of society. But that doesn't change our mind, right? Somehow we have to get in our hearts a greater thing than a detest for lust and a detest for uncleanness. Somehow we have to get in our hearts, I love purity. And that changes the whole scope of what I allow in my life. Lust brings emptiness. Lust brings anger. Lust brings bitterness. Lust will destroy your relationship. Men, it will destroy relationships. Any of us who have already tangled with lust already knows that. That's no news to us. That's nothing secret. We know there's lasting devastation. But hating the devastation and emptiness of lust doesn't mean you look at life from a godly perspective. Looking at life from a godly perspective means you can raise your right hand and say with a clean heart and a good conscience I love purity and it's not just shown by how you dress on Sunday morning it's shown by how you think and how you live how you interact with that internet how you interact with the newspaper and your whole mindset right up in here is affected by that one heart love I love purity If I'm not willing to get a heart love of purity, I'm living in a place of dimness and obscurity, trying to mesh light with darkness, trying to bring together the nature of God that is to be ruling me with the lust of the flesh that is supposed to be cast aside. But that's just how we're made. No, it is not. That's how sin is. But, friends, it, it's not a gloom and doom 
message. You heard what the bride and the groom say. They say, come. If you're thirsty, if you want something that's actually pure and clean, just come. And you can take of the water of life freely. Without our dogs. And the next word is sorcerers. Well, we don't have to worry about sorcery. It's incredible when you take time to study, what is this really saying? Does this really apply to us? Does this really apply to me today? I don't know of anybody here who would try and cast a spell on somebody and use some type of witchcraft. Is that what it's talking about? Um, as you look at this and as I look at my own heart, what is this really saying? A sorcerer is someone who tries to hold others under their power outside of God-given authority. Trying to hold others under their power outside of God's given authority. Remember the story of Simon the sorcerer in Acts. What happened? When he sees Peter... Through the life of Peter, through laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost was imparted. Through the disciples' ministry, they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. And what did Simon say? I'll give you money to get that kind of power with people. And, and Peter came out swinging. Remember what Peter said? Your, your money perish with you. Simon went back to the old nature, the lust of the flesh, He saw that power and he said, I want that power. I want that kind of control over people. That's a sin of sorcery. It doesn't take a witch to to fail in this. And because they're a witch, you know, they fail in sorcery. It's this desire, someone who tries to hold others under their power outside of God's given authority. And if Peter... If Peter could have that kind of power, why couldn't Simon have it? Was God playing favorites? Why why couldn't Simon, because he confessed Christ, why couldn't he have that same power and go around and lay hands on people? Why, Why did Peter just come out swinging and say, your money perish with you? God's order was obviously for Peter to have it. Why couldn't Simon have it? Peter wasn't focused on power or dominion. It had nothing to do with his focus. His focus was on Jesus Christ and living in the power of his resurrection. And God entrusted him with this power to lay hands on that early church and bless them with the Spirit of God. That was God's design for Peter because of his focus on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It was not because Peter had a lust for power. But think about it. Simon the sorcerer saw it and said, I want control like that. I want to hold under others under my power. <clears throat> God made order. God made order in the home. God made order in the nation. Every aspect of life, God made order. Now, there are people in the nation, there's people in the church, there's people in the home, 
There's people in every atmosphere that was given authority for a particular purpose. And somebody like Trump, he's president of the United States. Does that mean he has license to do however he wants in his right to authority? Absolutely not. He can step outside of authority and be impeached because this isn't right. Something needs to change. In a church, can the authority get out of line? Absolutely. But does that eliminate, does that eliminate God's design? It does not. It humbles us to realize we need to be careful about desiring authority or taking authority in things that God has not given us authority over. What color of towels you have in your home, I'm not going to preach about. I have no authority to say you need to have white towels. There's people that go there, they're out of authority. When you breathe and when you sneeze, that's up to you. But that doesn't eliminate the design of godliness in the nation, in the home, in in work, in every atmosphere of life. Now, I want you to consider this. I believe Scripture clearly reveals men's carnal tendency is to fail in lust. A woman's carnal tendency is to fail in desiring to have control. You're saying, you've really gone off the deep end. I was there probably a long time ago. But hear me. You'll see this in Scripture. Addressing the husbands, what does Scripture over and over tell them to do? I'm listening. Love your wife. Because the natural tendency of every man in here is to find the lust of his flesh and do after that. I'll do what pleases me. In fact, I want you to do what pleases me. That's the dog nature in every man. It doesn't have to be that way because we can come to the water and we can be serving and loving our Heavenly Father. But you know what the thing for every man is love. Love your wife. And it says, give yourself for them. It might make you feel good to help a lot of people and give yourself on a mission field. But what does my Bible say? Give yourself for your wife. How did you do that? You let her do the laundry. You let her do the cleaning. You let her do the meal making. Is that how you gave yourself? Gave himself. The tendency for men is to fail in lust. So over and over, God has commanded, love your wives. Is anyone here perfect? No. But I strive to follow after. And I stop striving, I'm in serious trouble. Hopefully my, I'm in trouble with my wife, but I'm also in trouble with God. And just as the husband's tendency is towards lust, this is clearly in Scripture, in case you think I've totally been wiped out, what is a woman's temptation? It is control. 
as a man's tendency is towards lust, check it out, ladies, it is so easy to be pulled into control. You know the word that Scripture says over and over and over again in relation to the wife. What's the word? One more time. Submit. Man, in our day, we need to love purity and we need to be on guard. And we need to fight against every evil that tries to yank your mind around. Every evil. I am not going to go that way. I have a heart that loves purity. Ladies, I have an encouragement for you. Ladies of our day need to embrace godly meekness. Godly meekness. Submission. And fight against the evil of sorcery that says, I want others to be held under my power. We can't go outside of God-given authority and desire power God doesn't give to us. You say, well, you're going crazy. That could be. But that's what sorcery literally is. It's desiring to have power God has not given you power for. Men, the the temptation is real and it's spoken of often. Keep yourself from lust. And ladies, I'm not saying this to condemn in any way. I know it can be a reality in every lady's heart just as the thing of lust is in every man's heart if they're not careful and if they're not in love with the Father. This is the natural tendency. You'll desire to control. Heaven's gates are barred. I, I wept when I read that. Heaven's gates are dar- barred against every dog and every sorcerer. I can be a Pharisee who has legalistically impressed others and even impressed myself. But if I have a heart that did not have a love for the Father, the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, are going to ruin me. I get so busy with life, I start living out of necessity and out of intuition rather than out of godly fear. And when that happens, the world will stain my life. Where are you at? No matter what you, where you're at, there's a call. Come. Just come. It doesn't cost you anything. But it costs giving up lying, giving up sorcery, giving up the dog's life. We live in a dog's world. It's literally a dog-eat-dog world. You don't have to stay there. Come. You don't have to stay on the wrong side. You can take that water of life. You can be clean. You can be cleansed from the inside out. You can have that heart of love for purity. The heart of love for submitting to God's design 
Friends, our lack, when we lack, I should say that, when we lack, when we lack in the love for the Father and we're pulled into these things of a dog's life and sorcery, it doesn't just affect me. It affects my children. It'll be affecting my grandchildren. It'll affect my friends. It'll affect everything around me. A life well lived. Loyal to God. Faithfulness to truth. That's where, you know, we, we get so busy living by our own intuition and our own goals, we can, we can skip over living in truth. Living in purity is our call to truth. Loving meekness. Being poor in spirit. The scary part is if I live in lust... If I vie for control long enough, if I do that long enough, I will come up with enough excuses that I will be able to do those things with a clear conscience. That might blow you away, but it's completely possible. I can be involved in a dog's life, vying for control, and have an absolutely clear conscience. There's there's no, no, no personal feedback in my own mind. That's really, really scary. And so as husbands and wives, we help each other, don't we? As brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to help each other. As a family of God, we, we can't just take, oh, well, you know, just the way He is. Hey, let's come to the pure water of life. You know, a good conscience... We can't get these things out of whack. A good conscience must rely exactly on and completely on truth. It's, I get my conscience relying on what I'm feeling. It doesn't work. Must rely on truth. And truth must rely on who God is. So I have to be in connection with each other. My desire as I preach this morning might be if someone is pricked and taking comfort in compromise, trying to mix light with darkness, it never works. Your conscience might be rejoicing because you have given up the dog's life and you are effectively living in truth. I say hallelujah, and I hope you do too. Last night, my little boy confessed to me some childish wrong. Kneeling at my knee, he prayed, make me like daddy, wise and strong. And as he slept, <clears throat> sorry, I knelt beside his bed and confessed my sin and prayed with low bowed head, Lord, make me like my son, pure and sincere. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer?